Hiya and welcome to another episode of The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy. You might be listening to us on Lisburn's 98 FM in Lisburn or you could be listening to us on Bangor FM in Bangor or alternatively on FM 105 Down Community Radio in Downpatrick. Or maybe you've been sneaky and uh, you haven't actually listened live. Maybe maybe you're in the future. Maybe you're listening on the podcast, The Jewel Case on iTunes or on Audioboom. That's fine. I don't mind as long as you're listening. And uh, if you want to get in touch, as always, with maybe uh, like a request for a, a special theme or feature on the show, you can get always get in contact on Twitter at underscore John Darcy. That's my new handle. Um, as uh, suggested in consultation with social media expert Ran McGrory. Now this week, it's St. Patrick's week. Today I have a guest uh, who has been long in the making. We, we've been, our people have been emailing back and forth to try and get this date set up. He's a very busy man. He's the most Irish looking person I know. <laughs> It's Michael McCulloch, or Mickey McCulloch as I know him. You may remember him from Colenso Parade, or you may know him now as Son of the Hound. Mickey, how are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for coming to my humble abode today to uh, record this interview. There's absolutely nothing humble about this mansion. (laughs) We just had to chase the butler out of the room there so we could get started recording. Quiet, Jeeves. (laughs) Uh, well, I mean, you, you're loving this because you're in my little music room where there's some guitars and you've just had it your hands over all of them, so I'll need to get them yeah, polished yeah, up yeah, after. definitely. And they're all out of tune as well, so <laughs> obviously they haven't been used in a while. <laughs> yeah, it's because I've been talking to really interesting people the last couple of weeks. I haven't had time to. And then, and then you get around. me at the end. Yeah. <laughs> well, here, how are you? What, what, what have you been up to? I'm good. I'm, I feel unprepared because you said, you know... The shows have a theme and I don't really have a theme. So maybe my lack of theme could be the theme of, of today. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I want to hear about you because we've known each other for a while and I haven't actually got to sit down and have a good natter with you in a long time. We've probably known each other about eight years or so, maybe even more. Yeah, if we, if we take a, a rewind back, um, I think we probably met first somewhere like the front page in Belfast. Actually, you know what? I think we had a gig in the front page together. I swear to you, I think I'm almost certain we did. And that that that's that would have been one, one of the first two gigs that I've ever had. I think I had two gigs with the lads in Belfast. So in the, the lads page, being... Clanzo Parade. The three. But you weren't called that at that stage. I think you were called uh, the Hot Rods or the Hot... The Hot Rocks, I Hot Rocks. Damn you in your memory. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to mention that. Later. The Hot Rocks. And yeah. what were you playing? What was your style then? Oh, uh, then it was like, it hadn't, we hadn't, fi- we hadn't evolved our final form at that stage. So I think we were still kind of... <laughs> I suppose it was kind of like snarly indie rock, you know, but, but we, we kind of evolved later on to being like 60s influence, kind of more pop. But at that time, it was all kind of, you know, snarly riffs and all all attitude. It was sort of time. first band type yeah. music where everyone's in the first band. They learn all the all the riffs that you play in the exactly. guitar shop. Exactly, you know, I was um, playing, I was playing a, a, a white Epiphone, Les Paul. Oh wow! It was a great guitar, but it, you know, just to give you an idea of the kind of <laughs> what the, the vibe that we were going for. All you, all you uh, tone questers out there will know what Mickey's talking about. Um, so <laughs> that was that was when we first met um, in the front page, where like I guess everyone in Belfast ha- at that era had their first gig in the front page, probably yeah. with Ian Pulford, the Beard, organizing and doing sound at those. 
Um, and if you're real, we, we were actually, me and you, having a little bit of a nostalgia trip because I just so happened to have a load of old Northern Irish CDs lying on my floor and we had a little flick through of them. Um, and all that era, just, I'm so nostalgic about that from yeah. when I first started playing in Belfast. Like, yeah, it, it, it always felt like, without, you know, sticking the rose-tinted glasses on, because we were probably... <laughs> I have mine all yeah. already. <laughs> <laughs> I know they look fabulous on you. Uh, we were at a certain age around the time where it just so happened that we were at the top of like a, a cycle of bands coming through that were really great, and there's this great vibe around the city. Some people said it was, a, you know, these things are all cyclical, and for a couple of years there, the live, live music kind of died to death, and it seems to be on its way back up. But I think we just... We're the right age at the right time. The um, just there's I, I look back on it as well. There's it's just this great, you know. There was this great energy around. Everybody was all, you know, we're going to do this. Everybody, we're doing this together. You know, it was definitely on the upward tick. And after your band did graduate from the Hot Rocks into what you were, then became known as Calenza Parade, you were part of that sort of bubble of intense energy around venues like Auntie Annie's. And uh, the stiff kitten radar, radar especially. Yeah, I still um, think I still think we were a wee bit on the outside. There's like every I, band. I, I don't want to so. use the, the 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 c word, that offensive c word, the click. You know that everybody oh, uses because yeah, that's yeah. just that is like. Now you sound like a fast feeder. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, <laughs> like, fast feed for anyone who doesn't know uh, was a, a website like a forum. It doesn't exist anymore, does it's it? It's pretty much just a forum for spam now. Yeah, I mean, and everyone was promoting gigs on it, but also having really like healthy debate and unhealthy debate yeah. about issues in and around local music. And uh, the classic complaint was, uh, our band, no one books our band because we are not in the scene. In the scene. We're in not the, in the, the elusive in the scene. scene. Yeah, but I mean, anyone can say that. Yeah, um, that's People it. who like, are in the scene probably say that as well. The scene is in your own mind. So, <laughs> you <laughs> know, like, Be the scene. Yeah. <laughs> Be, become the scene, yeah. But I remember supporting you guys um, in what either as a solo act or in my band at the time. I supported you guys at a radar show. Yeah. One time, so you were definitely in. We thing. we we were always in with promoters. Promoters really liked us. Um, sound guys really liked us. We <laughs> that just, doesn't count. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, we had we had like we had a great relationship with like ATL. Stuart Billy really was into our stuff. All, all, we had great radio play. Um, you know, the promoters were always getting us in, but we just found it tough enough for getting crowds. I always find in comparison to other bands, I don't. Really, I think. I think this is an issue that's still a problem for me today is we weren't edgy enough for the guys into their alternative music and we weren't commercial enough for the people who are just casual music listeners and I think that's still a problem that I have today. Yeah, you can really see when you go to a lot of live shows locally which bands are definitely more... I would probably prefer to use the word like diff- there's different networks yeah. in local music yeah. and different bands fit into those networks and there's a large fan base because of friends yeah. and social scenes and different things. That's uh, And that's not to be scoffed at really. That's just no, human that, nature. Yeah, you go and exactly. support your friends, yeah. For but, sure. Um, but because we're in um, sort of a small uh, or a lightly populated area for want of a better phrase, there's just not the bodies to go to loads of gigs. So um, there's just not as many fans outside of that. I feel that Belfast is missing compared to maybe places like Dublin. Just not as many people to go to shows. Yeah. 
Um, but maybe we're on that upward curve again, hopefully. See, and the thing is, I, I think this is uh, probably uh, a, a country-wide problem as well, that Ireland in general, both North and South, has a disproportionate ratio of musicians <laughs> to people. I mean, how many times have you been in a party and everybody knows a song? Well, even if it's a rudimentary three-chord song, everybody is able to, mm. like, uh, and that way, you know, the, the kind of, the mistake of, of being a musician is lost in some people. So, like, more, more people, if you're into music, you're going to tend to actually create music. I don't know if that's a problem that you see in other countries, but I, I definitely think that in Ireland, um, there's we're, we're spoiled for choice Yes, to go see music. Or, or like, Oma, like, Oma's a small town that has some serious musicians in it, like, just playing casually. Um, couple of nights a week, and you're from Oma, which we 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 sort of buried the lead there. Yeah. Um, that should have been in your little introduction. So you 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 guys came from Oma, and then moved up to Belfast. Then and and you were saying that that was sort of your first gig in Belfast. Maybe when we I first don't even met. think we'd actually moved. Up. Actually, we hadn't moved up at that stage okay. uh, because we stayed and we. I think you could rent a room in like the Queen's uh, student or student. Oh, the halls? Accommodation, I So I think we stayed there because I remember just sitting down in the wee main room. Yeah, we actually, we, we were still in school and we were down in the main room, like drinking with all the college lads, thinking we were, <laughs> this is it, you know, this is like, this is this is peak rock and roll at the moment. Like, oh, actually, were you in school at that stage or were you a little bit I older? think maybe it might have been just left school. I think we might have just maybe gone into first year. I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, it, it all gets a bit fuzzy, you know. Well... After that then, so you were in Colenso Parade, doing loads of good high-profile gigs, lots of big high-profile support slots, and uh, you were releasing a, a couple of EPs and a couple of singles. Yeah. Um, one that stood out for me was Better Off My Own, or was it, was it just called Better just Off? just called Better Off. Just called yeah. Better Off. And I think it's still floating around your iTunes and your Spotify, if people have a, a little rummage it for is, it. Yeah. I, I actually... The other night I was looking forward to this interview and I just got pulled it up. There's a live video on YouTube of you guys playing it. Oh God. So if you if you Google better off, cleanse a parade live, is you'll it, be able to find that. Is yeah. it is it ropey? Uh, I, think, know, I, I think I think I might have seen it. I think it's I might have seen it years ago. And I remember like listening about ten seconds uh, and going, you know, enough <laughs> of that. <laughs> well, just for to to please myself, let let's hear a bit of Better Off by Cleanse Parade. I can't speak when I'm suffering.
That was that was better off by your first band, Colenso Period. And um, you were the chief songwriter in that troupe. I was, yeah. Um, and how does that? How did that sort of band dynamic work? Did you sort of have the lyrics and the melody and all the arrangements thought out and bring it to the guys? Or I used to sit up in my room with the acoustic guitar and I would write a song and then I would bring it to Mally, the drummer. Um, and then me and we we lived all four of us lived together and we had a, another room in the house for a practice room so it was just the best it was like the monkeys but we'd go up and I'd bring it to Melly and we would kind of work I tell him what I was thinking and we'd work on that and then uh, I'd do a recording of it for Philly and he would go in his room and because he was that's how he liked to operate he liked to get a recording of it and sit and write by himself and then Philly he or as he's now known by the BBC Philip Phil no oh, it's Phil Phil, Phil drop Phil. the Y <laughs> Phil Taggart yeah of BBC One fame he used to go lock himself in his room and just he would work on the bass line and then come back and play it with me and then Fergal would come in then and Fergal would he was the lead singer and the rhythm guitarist he would suggest all these harmonies and he, then he, Fergal was great a great kind of producer head on him he was like no we should the drum should stop this bar here and then break in here and that, that's how this, the songs kind of came that together. sounds like a really nice organic separate stages but how did you how did you find out that that would work like that or I think it just, just kind of gradually happened like that because uh, well Fergal was always a stronger singer than me so he was always going to be the lead singer and he's also very pretty <laughs> so you know he looks like a beetle I think I've said this on a, a, a different podcast he looks like a beetle and he, he just um, he had his great like indie singing voice, so he was always going to be um, the front man. I was happy enough. I was happy enough doing the. Uh, although now now that I'm like a front man of my own, it probably looked like I was being an because I used to do all the chatting, do a lot of chatting on stage you as did, well. Yeah, you were sort of the. Uh, I'm trying to think of other bands where the side man is the the chatter. The, I'm trying to think. There's a couple of more like big bands yeah. where the side guy. <laughs> Does the chat so flea chili peppers? Yeah, you put a mic in front of me and I can't help myself. I just want to entertain. Like, but Fergal, <laughs> see, the thing is, like, Fergal's really funny as well, but he's quite shy. And mm. I would do some, I would like be talking away and just like chatting and doing, and Philly would be barking over at me saying, you know, mention we have a CD for sale, mention we have, or, you know, tell them the website. And I'd be saying that. And then Fergal would just lean in and just say something really dry and kind of mumble something really dry and smart arse down the mic that. I would only nobody could really would really understand it, but the four or the three of us would get it and we'd be cracking up. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was another dynamic. Philly was always business straight away. Like you know, yeah. he, as soon as we finished the set, the bass was off and he was down and he was shaking hands and giving out CDs and making sure we were like, I have to pack his gear away. That you know, such and such. <laughs> but that's again, you can't fall into those dynamics when you're in a group. And now, you're the man. I am the man. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for noticing. Or you're, you're the son. <laughs> I am the son. So talk me through this, because you just disappeared. The Colenso period ended, and I can't even remember what under what circumstances, but then you just, you, you were gone. It, it kind of fizzled out, is the way I'd describe it. Philly was getting more and more work with the BBC, and he was really busy, and he was there the whole time. And we had just released a single, and we thought it was our strongest work we were really really excited about it and it just didn't have the impact that we were anticipating looking back now we didn't didn't work enough at it we were we we're still a bit naive about it and that kind of knocked us for six so I took a head stagger and went off to Spain for eight months and then I came back and went to Galway for a year and then I was like I, I, and this is all under the pretense of uh quit music you know it's time to 
time to settle down. Oh, really? Yeah, and then I was like, just the allure of uh, playing again. You can't, you can't really quit, can you? So when you were in Spain, you weren't playing at all. No, well, I mean, the first first open mic night I found in an Irish bar I was there every week, <laughs> and that was the first time I actually had sang, uh, not backing vocals, sang lead vocals and played by myself. So oh I was, my God. I was pretty ropey. You know, but so it, it took you to go to another country, basically, um, away from everybody you knew, to then sort of with the necessity to sing on your own. I suppose I, I never even realised that. I don't. I don't think it was like intentional or, or a conscious decision. But I was like, because I was like, I'm quitting music. I'm going to Spain, but I'm taking my guitar with me just in case. <laughs> because Actually, they don't have them out there. Yeah, they don't have guitars. They don't. They, they've they've barely any music out there. So, <laughs> and uh, and then when you came to Galway. Well, why Galway? Because there, there's a, a bunch of people I knew were, were moving around to Galway at that stage. Was there a little bit of an influx of the art, art community or just people from Belfast like, leaving? Or, yeah. I, I think I was the only person the, the only person from the north that I met there. Anyway, oh, okay. like I, was, uh, I met myself there. Uh, Galway is a weird one. I was in uni and I just, even in school actually, I just remember having, a, I'd never been to Galway in my life. I was like, I think... I think Galway's the place for me. I just feel like you know, you know, you just get this like I, I need to get to Galway. I think I I will I'll I'll, I'll that's that's my place. Those are my people, and I was right. It turned out that I, I went down. Everybody was like me. They're all curly haired and bearded and crusty looking, <laughs> like the seventies. Yeah, it was like, and I was like, this is amazing. And there was everybody's good vibes. Galway's separated from everything. Like they, that was yeah. during the flag protest as well. And I was like, didn't hear anything about it. Now all, all the musicians, they all just busk all day. They sign on the dole and they busk all day and then they drink all night. Um, and it's just amazing. And that was the life for you. Yeah, well, th- th- then I was like, uh, this is deadly, but at the same time, I'll not do anything if I stay here. Because the Galway, they call it the graveyard of ambition. They say, Uh-oh. if you go there, like you, you just give up. And I was like, I'm not ready to give up yet. So that's why I came back. Wow. Okay. Well, actually, I feel that sort of homecoming when I go to Galway because there's a big sign up uh, on the main street for Darcy. And there's loads of things in and around Galway or even wider to Athlone of Darcy because Darcy was one of the tribes, the tribes of Galway. Yeah. Yeah. So McCullough, a... is it one of them? No, no. no. It's, well. a, it's a troll name <laughs> through and through. Uh, there's there's loads of Darcy streets and all around there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe we should go on a trip to we Galway. We should. The Darcy Roundabout. That's right. The, the best roundabout in Galway. <laughs> I mean, it's up there. <laughs> it's up top three at least. <laughs> I think there only are four. Right? <laughs> um, so you came back and at what stage did this new identity of Son of the Hound emerge? Uh, well, I did. I was I was playing under another name just for a while. I recorded an album just to get it out of my system. It oh, was and what was that called? The album was called South Pond Ninos and the name was Meb John Saul, which was a terrible name. That's ter- right. What was that about? Uh, it's just like, I was just, you know what it was? Because Cleanse of Parade had already been taken. Like when, and we, we, we stubbornly went on with it. Like there was a band in the 80s called that. And I'd never had any luck with names. So I was like, I'm just going to make something up. I don't care if it's nonsense. I'm just going to make something up so it, nobody's ever had it before. And I was just kind of, gigging for that for a while and I'd recorded stuff and it was uh, like the guy recording me was great Dave um, but I wasn't ready I, my voice wasn't strong enough and I wouldn't had, the songs were demos that I just recorded in a studio you know with better quality so I was like right clean slate again but there was one track that did stand out I think it's the one you released um, Captain of the Ship yeah and that's great. That's so catchy. I still play that one. That one's always goes down well. Like I, I'm happy. I still, I will still play that one. So that's sort of the the carryover from that little era. Yeah, we play that. I go on ahead. <laughs> Fire away. <laughs> 
Remember when I first met, started talking You took my hand and you led me to the deck All this is yours, my friend, all this is yours You took the anchor up and you showed me oceans Then you smiled and put your arm around my neck All this is yours, my friend, all this is yours I'm a singer Captain of the Ship by Meb John Soul. That ceases to exist. Yep. Um, and out of the ashes of <laughs> Meb John Soul rose Son of the Hound. Son of the Hound. And how did that transition go? Was there a load of pain in swapping Twitter handles and all of that? Uh, social media, Facebook just deleted it, uh, threw up a new one. I was like, oh, and I don't mind. Facebook fans, it's it's a fickle number anyway. You know, I'm not I'm not gonna lose sleep over it. Um, so that like Son of the Hound is like the Gaelic translation of my surname, and I was like, right, finally I've got a name now that means something to me. Oh and, wow, well that's yeah. our that's our Irish and Patrick's day. That's it. Uh, so Son of the Hound is translation of Son of the Hound of Ulster, which is Macula. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I was like deadly. That's I was sitting in a car one day. Uh, just going I'd lo- I wish I just had a decent name I've never had a name that I've been 100% happy with and I was like I can't use my own name because it's stupid it's just a stupid Irish name you know it doesn't it, there's there's nothing interesting about it and then it just kind of clicked there and I was like this name has been stare- staring me in the face my entire life <laughs> and I didn't realise it so so you, you changed the moniker um, is is that just face value or was the, did, did there also come a change in what you're thinking about what you're going to do musically um, and artistically yeah and I, so it, it, it's a bit of both it was face value I was like right this is like for, for branding purposes you know for all that's in purpose that, that's that, you know Son of the Hound works well um, as, in terms of like writing uh, well in terms of gigging a lot of it is just me solo now because I can't afford to have a I, I can't ask you know four or five lads to take time off work to go and play four dates for maybe 50 euro a night you know, between the five of us. Yeah. So I'm just most the act is mostly me solo. So I play songs and talk. But in terms of recording, I try and use whatever's at my disposal. So everyone was like, "Oh, the, the that album you done that was a uh, really folky and, and completely different to the the songs that you played in Clenzo." But they weren't really. It just happened that uh, the only instruments that I had when I was demoing was a banjo and a guitar. Mm. So they could easily be indie songs. Do you know? Yeah, and in a sense, I 
I, I, when I hear the Son of the Hound stuff, it's your vocal delivery, which maybe gives it more of like a country or folky vibe. Because my the, accent is not tunes, yeah, the accent, yeah. and but you, you now you find a new voice. I think vocally from when you used to sing in Clans of Parade, yeah. although that did shine through a little bit, even though you were doing the sort of sixties pop vibe yeah. in terms of your musical production and arrangement. Your voice, whenever it would ring out a little bit more, did have that little twang of old Americana or um, I'm trying to think even going back to maybe bluegrassy kind of thing yeah I like it's I don't know what it is but it's just what I people always say oh you sing in your accent I was like I just sing the way you know the way it comes out and I I don't try and pronounce things differently when I'm singing because I feel like that's not really authentic do you know if I was to say like it's gone like I don't know down you know I would say down you know instead yeah. of down you know like I'm going down yeah you know where I go I'm going down <laughs> <laughs> yeah baby I <laughs> <Aye>, baby <laughs> that's not like that's not an intentional decision that's just that's just me singing normally yeah it, it, it covers up a it, it 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 masks a lot of uh inefficiencies in my singing ability as well people were like but it's so rustic and so charming <laughs> I was like but it's out of tune <laughs> well that's what I'm going for <laughs> uh, no auto tune here yes yeah, that's it this is coming up in conversation quite a lot recently with people I'm talking to about the Northern Irish accent in song and people from Northern Ireland singing in different accents um, and do you have a take on that like a, a political view with a small p or I think like for example if you were doing something more electronic based kind of softer dancier like beauty sleep that you had on here you know for them it doesn't make sense for them to really go hard with the their their vowel pronunciations you know uh-huh. it, it makes more sense for them to be a bit more ethereal and have a bit of a ne- more neutral accent for sure, because it's just it's 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 just a style at the same time. Like, or if like there's a couple of kind of like axes of they would sing in their accent. They're real, you know, energetic punk band. It, it suits them. Like, so it's 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 nothing to lose sleep over. You know, it, it's it's like anything. You need to be sincere. If 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 what you're doing is sincere, then it doesn't matter. So if it's sincere and that you're using your own accent, grand. But if it's sincere that you're not using it for this purpose of the song, then that's good too. Um, Why? Where do you fall on it? No, no, no. Because you you would sing in your accent as well. Yeah, I I used to, but for me that was a decision made when I was fifteen or sixteen because someone heard me play like a a music teacher or something, and someone who I valued their opinion, and they said, "Why are you singing in a Californian accent?" And it was because I was listening to bands from California and mimicking them. And then they made me think more about that. And then I sort of re-injected. And it was a conscious injection of my own accent into my voice and starting to sing more naturally. And then from from then on, I I just play with that, I guess, um, creatively, depending on what I want to do. And and, I think that's work approach works for me to uh, use it at my disposal whether on depending on the kind of thing that I want to get out of because at least then from my perspective I'm being conscious of it rather yeah. than just no, totally. um, mimicking or and that's fine too because we all mimic um, art is just passed down um, I wonder do like artists. like American artists do the same do they can they differentiate that much like the subtleties between maybe East Coast and West Coast and would those accusations be thrown about between acts as well because we're always consuming what's coming from over there but they're never it's never the other way 
Yeah, we well, we are consuming um, so much UK media um, and so much American media that we're just absorbing all these sort of accents from both sides. And yeah, Americans most sort of they, they sort of watch things like Downton Abbey on BBC America or whatever it's called, and think it's really funny and have this idea of like a really posh English accent as the only English accent. Yeah, and, they, and I then guess they, they have a grime. Really, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and they probably have an idea of like there's one Irish accent, yeah. whereas there's so many. Yeah, um, I mean, for example, just when you say that, I can't listen to Chrissy Moore at all. He just his his his. <laughs> Voice and accent is just not for me. Whereas Damien Dempsey, who's, you know, absolute inner city dub accent. Yeah. It's great. I love him. Right. Well, is is there any track you can sort of pick off the top of your head to hear a bit of that voice? He does a great cover of um, Pogues doing Rainy Night in Soho. It's a great cover. We'll just get a flavour of this voice then. I've been loving you a long time Down all the years Down all the days And I've cried for all your troubles Smiled at your funny Little ways. So that's Damien Dempsey there, just to give you a, a, a splash of that thick. Is it a brogue? Do you call that a brogue? Oh, I, I try and uh, stay away from the B word. That's the, I, love <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know what that's meant to mean. It's a shoe. It's a type of shoe. <laughs> <laughs> your your voice sounds like a shoe. Oh, I'm trying to think of other Irish acts um, or Northern Irish acts. I mean, the one I used to get compared to was Duke Special because I think he was the main person people had in their head of someone who uses yeah. their Northern Irish accent in song. Like, it's almost like we cringe when we hear our own accent. Uh, but from the outside, everyone's like, oh, your accent's so sing-song. Like, it makes sense to use it then in, in a song. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's the vile sounds, I think, that people really... Maybe we cringe over and then some people find like as the the thing that they can highlight if they're doing a mimic of our accent, like the yeah. Nino Nino. Yeah. <laughs> now, now instead of now. Or, yeah. Hi yeah. now, Brian Kai. Dirtin' 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 dirt. Yeah. It's a powerful weapon, the accent to use, like you can deploy it. Like um I was playing a gig last week to and there was like about thirty American students in. I was down in Dublin, uh and because it was only like a four song set. So I was like, right. But there was no time limit. So I was like, right, I'm going to do a bit of chatting between each set. So I came out and talked away to them. And, you know, just just by speaking in your own accent, you, they're, they're automatically listening a little bit more intently because they have mm. to try and decipher it anyway. Either that or it could go the other way. And they're just like, I don't know what this guy's saying. I'm just <laughs> going to pretend to look interested. <laughs> and then go to the bar once he starts playing. Um, and have you been um, touring around different places Outside of Ireland at all, as son of the hound? Mm, no, I've never really, I've never gigged outside of Ireland because one of the things is just getting around. Yeah, it's I mean, expensive. Sandy, I'm only learning to drive now. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't learn to drive when I was younger because it got in the way of the drinking, and then because <laughs> and having the crack, you know. And also for Oma, everything was a walking distance anyway. I wasn't right. one of these country boys and needed to learn to drive. So once I get that and 
get my gear up a little bit, then I'll be looking further afield. You should do one of these Kickstarter funded Indiegogo type things. Um, get Mickey in the ro- on the road. Yeah, get him out of the country. <laughs> <laughs> hey, not like that. <laughs> Run him out. All I have to do is commit a few local crimes and I should be run out. <laughs> well... Before you run out, um, <laughs> you have this new single that I've got in my hand, and this is amazing. Uh, this is my first press. Someone's given me like a single, like burnt for me, with like handwritten <laughs> with, the, with the single title and all. So, uh, Son of the Hound, Galway Rain. That's the new single. It is. Um, and it's online now. It's online now and it'll be released on the 16th of April. Oh, great. And is there like a video and all that sort of shtick as there, well? There will be. There will be. Okay, well, yes. I look forward to that. So here, we'll have a quick blast of that. Will I load it up into the load CD player? Go for it. Hold on. Nice. <laughs> Into that magic happening.
so that was Son of the Hound and your new single, yes. Galway Rain. Uh, Son of the Hound being Mickey McCulloch, who is our guest tonight on The Jewel Case. Um, that's right, you are listening to The Jewel Case, and I hope it's your weekly tune in every Tuesday night at 8 pm on Lisburn's 98 FM, Bangor FM, and FM 105 in Downpatrick, or Gage. Sure, you could be at the gym listening to this in four weeks' time. I don't really know. <laughs> but my guest tonight is Mickey McCulloch of Son of the Hound fame and formerly of Colenso Parade and The Hot Rocks. Oh, God. <laughs> and Mev John Silty. Uh. And uh, I feel really privileged because you've brought me along I'm so easily impressed a nice um, hand printed and stamped Son of the Hound uh, presser or a radio what do you call it like a radio single yeah that's sort of what it is I mean, it's, you're impressed, but it's it's literally a blank CD in a, pla- a see through plastic sleeve with a stamp on it. I know, but you know what it says to me? It says that now I'm on the media cycle. That's, yeah. <laughs> I've made you feel good about yourself, and that's half the battle. But also, um, it is really strange because I only started doing this before Christmas, and um, already about four or five of the guests that I've had on who are mostly friends or acquaintances mostly friends <laughs> um, who I've just catching up with really yeah. and using this as a good excuse to catch up with them they've been on like all the radio shows as well and on the blogs but they always arrange the date with me like way, way well in advance but then all the other stuff goes out on air and online before my thing. So then I'm out late and it looks like I just like sort of got like dragged ju- along the coattails. Yeah, jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, but I had them first. Yeah, friendship <laughs> comes last. Like, no time for friends in this game. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a risky business. Maybe that's why I'm not successful. <laughs> I have hey. no friends. <laughs> <coughs> oh God, I've killed him. <laughs> Uh, but we we didn't even talk about the lovely music we just heard, which was "Go Away Rain," your new single. And uh, since it's St Patrick's Week, and I'm feeling very Irishy, there's a lot of folky vibes in that, or maybe not even folky vibes, but that sort of like Irish singer songwriter kind of maybe Paul Brady ish. Like yeah. there's the there's the flutes and different things. I I that um the song came first, before, like the the song was in a different key and it was a slow one, and then I was just kind of changed the key to find a better you know, range for my voice and I was playing it in a different rhythm. I was like, there, if, if I could get a nice wee um, traditional sounding lead for this, this could be a really good song. And then I just sat down with the mandolin. I recorded the guitar and sat down with the mandolin and fiddled about with it for about half an hour. And actually I had this wee riff and I was like, that's it. And then I sent the demo to a couple of mates and they were like, oh, you have to do this one next. This one, this is a great one. And then, yeah, it's unashamedly Pogue's influence. Like yeah. there's, there's no getting away from that. Like, and I'm not denying it. It's proper... Pogues style song but there's no shame that they're a great band so would, they, would the Pogues be a big influence on Definitely. what you're at at the minute yeah I mean I, I, I'm always very reluctant to to say oh I play Irish folk music or I'm an Irish folk singer because I think when people say that it's like uh, was it is it Oscar Wilde said like uh, national pride or is like the last refuge of the scoundrel or something like <laughs> oh, that oh yeah uh, and the, the, the idea of being an Irish folk musician where you're, you know, singing about famine and drinking pints and whiskey and baiting the wife and, you know, it's, it, it doesn't sit well with me. I I, far, I don't want to be writing old or antiquated songs. So I like the form, I like the chord structures and the form and I like the the um, the melodies that kind of naturally accompany that, that form. Mm-hmm. But I'd rather be taking it and writing, applying modern lyrics. You know, yeah. I'm not going to be talking about Facebook 
I can't believe that was the most that was the most modern thing I could think of there. <laughs> Facebook kids didn't even use Facebook know, anymore. Ten years old. She said Snapchat. Even yeah. that's on its way out. It comes up every week in conversation. <laughs> Snapchat. It's like, yeah. I, said, I said me and Philly were talking about this. this. Is the first app that's made me feel like a old. I just can't get my head around it at all. I think, I think my phone's too old. For I think it. you just put your head in front of it and take the picture. Right. That's how it works. Uh, you, you lost me. You lost me there. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought. I pogs anyway. I don't know how we got from pogs to Snapchat in, uh, in ten seconds there, but yeah, the pogs are great because um, they use all the traditional instruments, and some of their songs are like, like heavily in the traditional form, but a lot of them are not. There, there's there's some serious like uh, kind of musical ventures in the pogs, yeah. especially that. I Should Fall From Grace From God album it's amazing is that the one produced by Elvis Costello it is it's a particular sort of Pogue song maybe we could get a glimpse into where your head's at in terms of their influence uh, Broad Majestic Shannon otherwise known as the non-seasonal fairy tale of New York it's, it's pretty much <laughs> they got the same kind of riff and it's the same key and chord structures um, it's just not doesn't have the, the, the festive spirit that goes along with fairy tale Sort of where you're leaning towards. Yeah, I actually want to try. Like, I'm thinking the next recording I do, I'd I'd like to kind of lean away from. I like trying different things, and I said to you earlier, the only thing that the reason I started kind of playing folky sort of traditional stuff was because the instruments were at hand, and I understood yeah. the I understood the form. I kind of want to try something different going forward. I'd like to. I get come bringing it back to accent as well. I love Motown. I love soul. Yeah. Like I love Sam Cooke. Um, I really love Sam Cooke, but and I, I I understand this type of songs that he writes, but I just don't have the voice to sing them. You know, like I don't have that that, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. black American voice which just got so much there's just so much in it. So I'd love to try my hand at something like that, but obviously coming from Tyrone, <laughs> like soul, <laughs> Tyrone's n- Nordy soul. Yeah, uh, it was south southwest soul. We'll call that yeah. then. So- southwest Delta blues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Lake District. <laughs> but uh, I mean, Calenso Parade was a bit of that. There was a bit of that Motown bass, especially uh, yeah. in those songs. Although the harmonies, I guess, were more early fifties rock and roll harmonies. Yeah. So there was yeah. a bit of a, a mixture of things there. The the one song that we everybody knows we were huge into the Beatles, but that song on Revolver and Your Bird Can Sing that was just that was the template for every Colenso song. If oh. you ever if you listen to that, um, well, will we listen to that? Let's listen to it. <laughs>
actually that is one of my favourite songs from Revolver and one of my favourite Beatles songs Andrew Bird can sing yeah, the, the it and then the song that comes after it for no one Oh, uh, yeah. it's just break. It's a heartbreaking song. But those two songs together are just amazing. David Kitt does a great cover of Andrew Bird can sing, but it's really delicate. You know the way he would do the sort yeah, of yeah. delicate electronica with like really tasteful little beats and droplets and different things. Yeah, and uh, with like a sort of nylon string guitar, sort of just riffing on a chord. Nice. And he just does that sort of version of it on his, you know, relaxed voice, Angel. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> Your bird is broken Will it bring you down You may be awoken I'll be round I'll be round Tell me that you heard every sound there is And your bird can swing But you can't hear me You can't hear me Well, we were, um we were playing it's this Beatles Fest film and we were playing and your bird can sing and I don't know if it's like George and John playing you know where the, the riff is it's like, like a dual guitar is it thing. the two of them playing or is it one of them playing because I used to play it just try and play I had played it by myself yeah and for, but it was really hard to do but I, I, I managed to get it down but um, I don't know who your man was I think he was like their tour manager or manager the Beatles and he came in in the middle of that song I looked up and seen him and just as I was about to start playing the riff and you've never heard a riff played as badly and so many bum notes in such a quick succession. Fergal was looking at me, he's like, are you okay? Did you take a knock on the head there? Your man just walked in. I just seen him. I was like, that's your man. That's their tour manager for the Beatles. And I was just, my hands just stopped working like just because I couldn't compute that this lad was just come walking in there. I think that must be, that's probably a prototype for like Thin Lizzy guitar solos. That, it really I think is, it yeah. Is two, um, it is two different guitars playing it because there's no way you can get that sort of attack yeah. on it with one you, hand. It's, it's similar to like the birds and what they were doing, but the, it's, it's uh, that attack, it's, it's way more uh, present. Like when you listen to the birds doing it, like it's obviously, you know, the, the 12, string, 12 string Rickenbackers. And it's nice and soft and um, it's like a bed, but there it's a proper riff. I am a massive Beatles nerd, massive Beatles fan. So any Beatles trivia, just fire it my way. I'll be happy to, to, <laughs> to refute answer your questions. Or, yeah. Yeah, confirm or deny. Yeah. Although I don't know who this Tony is, their uh, tour manager or bus driver. Or he was, he, he, I don't want to <laughs> say too much about him because that was a bit of a disaster of a weekend. We were filling in for... Somebody had obviously got wind that this this festival was not all it's cracked up to be. That this band and they were like, "Here, these guys will do it." And we were like, "Aye, grand." But it was one of those things where you know had to chase up. You know, there was verbal threats regarding pay. You know, oh, it was dear. one of those kind of jobs. Like, I can imagine who in the band had was was facing to do that. Yeah, you can imagine it wasn't me. I don't know, but it, all, all part of life's rich tapestry. That yeah. Well, I mean, you're cataloging your life's rich tapestry or you have been or you were um, I'm not sure if you're still doing it but you were blogging quite a lot uh, writing sort of diary entries about your movements around Ireland and touring as Meb John Soul and Son of the Hound on the Thin Air website yeah. and uh, is that still going? Uh, it's like I, I set myself when I started doing it I set myself a target of doing one every fortnight and then I realised that's just not yeah. you know it's, you can't do that as well as write and, and record and practice it's just there's too much creative um, demand to do that mm. you know, it's too much demand on your creativity so I haven't done one in a while I do I am always sketching ideas down for it um, I really enjoy doing that and they were really well received probably a bit, 
better received than the music. Like, because the, the the idea behind it was, all right, I'm not I'm not successful, but I'm not a bedroom player either. I'm mm-hmm. somewhere in between being successful musician and just starting coming out of my garage playing with my mates. So the idea was that the kind of you never hear about the middle road. You always just hear about the the rags to riches. Somebody is plucked out of obscurity and next thing they're Adele or someone. Yeah. Do you know whereas you never hear about the 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 very inane. The also runs. Yeah, the also runs. That's what I was actually I was thinking of calling my next EP also run. <laughs> yeah, you never hear of the also runs like yeah, and, and there's uh, so many of them. Well, I mean, I guess a lot of your friendship circle as well is <laughs> people in, in Belfast who have been playing in bands and are still working in the music industry. But whether that's in production or management, yeah, um, or doing cover gigs and bars, and also around sounds like a terrible descriptor for that because every a lot of them are making a really happy career at music, but maybe not the thing they originally imagined they'd do, it, which is you know playing Glastonbury yeah, or under big bright lights. It's coincidence, like reconciling that you're you're. The teenage dream with the adult <laughs> reality is is like and trying to find the happiness in between the two. That's that's the goal in life. And where you're sitting right now, um, Son of the Hound is this a project that you think you'll stick with this name for a little while? It sounds like it sounds like you found a name that you, that you're happy with, and it conceptually works really well. Yeah. Are you gonna write uh, a lot more songs and keep playing and see where this goes? Yeah, but I I'm definitely going to do that. But the thing is, I this, I probably shouldn't. I'm this probably make me come across as not the best self publicist or promoter. <laughs> but yeah, we'll see where it goes. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be, sit up at night wondering why it's not working or you know measure myself by other people's success. You know, you just have to as long as you're going to bed happy, like then you're yeah. Grand, like, I mean, it's like that comes across whenever you play. The last time I saw you play a show was at the Output Festival. Um, a couple of weeks ago and uh, you were playing in the John Hewitt yeah. in Belfast and uh, you just seemed really happy um, on stage and your in-between song banter as always was really funny and really endearing and uh, while singing I could see that it's that love of playing music that has you doing it just you know you're not you're yeah. not just doing it like because it's like a thing that you feel like you're entitled to do or that Oh, I should be making it or anything like that. But you're writing these songs that are important to you and that a lot of people in the audience are singing along to and really loving it and having a good time enjoying your music. I just like it. I just I just want to entertain. <laughs> <laughs> Whether like it, if, as you're saying, like the, the talking in between is now like it's a big part of the show now because I realized I think it was it probably came from them articles. I realized that people enjoy listening to like the I think the. the People enjoy listening to the stories. I think the the worst thing in the world is when you get some wallflower getting up and they're like, uh, "Thanks, guys, thanks for listening." And uh, this next song I wrote when I, I wrote this song about uh, you know a girl that I knew who, who moved away and and I hope you like it. You know that that you know because you're you're sitting there and and the person pr- could be really talented. You know most of the time they are really talented, but you're kind of they're playing it so safe. You know they don't yeah. want to offend anybody or. Or take a risk. Whereas if you go up there and like, I usually know what I'm going to talk about, but you know, try and engage them. Don't just like that by engaging them, then you're kind of, you're selling, you're selling yourself, you know? Yeah. But it's also that you're confident and um, you've had all these experiences that are interesting to share. Yeah. Um, And you're confident to tell those stories now and maybe writing those articles or those blog posts about your journey 
have sort of helped you create that narrative as well. And writing those articles and telling this story is really extending your songwriting in terms of you as a storyteller. Yeah. And I really feel like that's at the root of what you do because you've also dabbled in playwriting yeah. as well. And there is this author or author maybe like lurking inside of you that the, is that is trying to tell the story. Yeah. The big fear that I have then is that I'll I'll go so far one way that I'll never get to <laughs> hold an electric guitar and, and rock out again. Like I know that sounds so like juvenile, but I love, you know, jumping up and down beside a kit and going mad. And I feel like if I keep leaning towards this way, I'll not get that again. But maybe that's the sacrifice you have to make. You know, you, you can't have everything. You can't be... You can't be uh, Bruce Springsteen and um, John Bon Jovi. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking that on the other end of the spectrum. You can't be a stadium rock and uh, you know fellow E jazz club. Yeah, do you know what I mean? A wee candle at tables, everybody's sitting down. You need one. I think you need to go one or the other. But uh, at the moment, I'm leaning towards the you know sitting down audience, intently listening to the stories and then listening to the songs. It's good crack, you know. Well, I'm always interested to hear the stories and interested to hear the new songs. Loving the new Galway Rain single. And as we said, it's out officially on the 16th of April, but you can sort of preview it and pre-order it online in the meantime. You've said there's going to be a video out soon, so I look forward to seeing that. Any gigs coming up that you'd like to highlight? Uh, By the time this goes out, I think I'll have just finished a a ream of gigs. So uh, unless you can get your hands on a flux capacitor. you playing on St Patrick's Day at all? I'm actually down in Galway for St Patrick's Day. Oh wow! Uh, okay, at uh, Stag Day, so you might never see or hear from me again. <laughs> well, if we don't, we'll have Galway Rain <laughs> to remember you by. That's poetic, isn't it? <laughs> Mickey, thanks so much for coming and chatting to us. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, well, we'll uh, hopefully have you back sometime soon to Definitely. chat in more depth. Definitely. Great. Uh, this has been The Jewel Kids. You have been here with me, John Darcy, and Mickey McCulloch, son of the Hound. I'll be back next week with another special guest. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll leave you maybe with the B-side to Mickey's new release, Son of the Hound, with a new song, Pilgrim. At night before light I see you walking alone Turn to me silently And say your heart's a stone So I laugh of a thousand notepads Filled with words I could never say to you And you cry You could at least try Hold me in your arms and tell the truth I talk, I talk I talk to the dogs that bark They speak Speak to me, they speak from the shadows in the dark.
Oh, oh, oh.